hear me okay. There we go. You can probably hear me okay. It's the, uh, it's, uh, Stephen or at uh, uh, Benton Heights is joining us this weekend, so I uh, want to make sure my mic's on so they can actually hear, so it's not a kind of a lip-sync kind of situation. So I want to welcome our Benton Heights campus. Uh, as I was saying, you got one of these as you came in. There's a lot of great... Yeah, so, that's like right in my face. Can I move this down a little bit? Are we getting all this on video? So, hey, Benton Heights, we're glad that you're here. All right, that definitely works well, doesn't it? Let me turn that other one off. Okay, so, um, where was I? Uh Welcome, or something like that. Yeah, you got one of those as you came in. I just wanted to point out a couple things. One is, uh, we are a part of a group of churches that has come together to put on, on the National Day of Prayer, which is May 7th, uh, a prayer breakfast, um, more praying than breakfast, but uh, uh, at at uh, the new Hilton Garden Inn out by the highway, uh, by 94. Uh, several churches came together. If you'd like to attend that, it's, uh, there's, the seating's limited. You could call the church office and we get you signed up. encourage you to go. Um, the seating is limited, though. And then also, I wanted to just make you aware that on that same day, so that's at 7.30 in the morning, on that same day, National Day of Prayer, at the courthouse, um, there's a, uh, an annual prayer time. And would strongly encourage you to go to that. Uh, pray for our country. There's an important a Supreme Court, Court justice kind of thing going on on Tuesday. There's just a lot of things going on in our country, and we need to be people that are praying for our country. So we shouldn't gripe if we're not also praying. Okay. <laughs> so I uh, encourage you to do that and be a part of uh, just asking God to do some great things uh, in our country. So um, we're in this series. I'm going to pick my Bible back up now. Uh, we're in this series called The Jesus I Wish You Knew, uh, and we really are, this is, this is the last week, we're kind of wrapping, wrapping things up, and in this series we've been talking about, um, we've been talking about who Jesus, Jesus is, and as I look at my notes, there's one other thing I wanted to say, I'm so sorry, this is like so disjointed, and you probably will never come back if this is your first time, so sorry, it's usually not like this, my mic typically works, and all those kind of things, um, one other thing that I wanted to say was uh, we've really been challenging you to pray for people that are far from God. Um, and we did what we call it a 360 prayer challenge to pray for three people six times a week with zero missed opportunities. If you have a chance to uh, just love on somebody that you've been praying for, you have a chance to be the hands and feet of Christ with somebody you've been praying for, uh, and, uh, or if you maybe even have an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with them uh, and to miss zero opportunities to do that. So three, praying for three people six times a week when missing zero opportunities. And so we got to thinking, uh, because Do Something is coming up uh, in June, 
And do something is where, as a congregation, we get outside the walls of the church and we go and we serve our community and nonprofits and the cities and municipalities around the, each of our campuses. And so um, we thought it'd be really cool if you would just pray about potentially inviting one of your three people to come and serve beside you that day. Just uh, maybe there's, uh, and we'll have, uh, we'll have, uh, some uh, opportunities where you can see the different projects and that'll be we'll be releasing those in a couple weeks and so you can get a, a list and maybe you could talk to your uh your friend or whoever a neighbor or whatnot uh and maybe think about working this safe shelter together working uh painting some fire hydrants in saint joe or whatever you know kind of projects that we might be doing as a way to just again continue to build a bridge as we're trying to reach people for christ so just pray about that and we'll talk more about that uh in subsequent weeks but here we are on the GS I Wish You Knew, and this is the last uh, week where we're, gonna, where we're talking about GS I Wish You Knew, and we uh, have really been, if you were to kind of summarize it, talking about the supremacy of Christ, that, that Jesus is awesome, that he is supreme, there's no one greater, and in his own words, he tells us some things about himself in what are called the I Am statements in the book of John, where Jesus says... I am this and I am that. He says, uh, we start out on, on Easter Sunday, we talked about where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We've talked about Jesus, where Jesus said, I am the true vine. Jesus said, I am the, the door, I am the good shepherd. And today we wrap up our series where we talk about, in the Jesus I wish you knew, that where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So again, if you were to summarize all these together, Jesus is trying to help us to understand that he is absolutely supreme. And this weekend, if we accomplish nothing else, the very simple thing I want to accomplish is as we wrap up at the end is to remind you that Jesus Christ is supreme. Now, that'd be a great place for a little amen or yeah, that's right or something like that. But um, Oliver Wendell Holmes once said that a man's mind stretched by a new idea, never goes back to its original dimension. And so this weekend, I want to stretch our minds as to the greatness, as to the supremacy of Jesus. And so here's what Jesus said. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John, the 8th chapter, the 12th verse. And Jesus, it says this, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. On Wednesday nights, after the first year, I taught a class, uh, and we looked at a book by Howard Hendricks called uh, Living by the Book. And in that class, we, we talked about how to study, basically how to study the Bible. And one of the, or two of the, the key things, as you think about studying the Bible, is the things you need to do as you read the Bible is to observe, you know, what's, what's going on, and to interpret. And, to, and it's important to do those things before you try to apply what Scripture's saying. So, observe and interpret before you apply. Now, one of the things that we can do in this particular text is try to understand what's going on when Jesus says, what's going on in Jesus' world when he walks in, because it wasn't just this sterile environment where Jesus says to these people, I am the light of the world. What was going on that kind of set up him saying to them, I'm the light of the world? And that's in chapter 8, so if we're going to understand what he's saying in chapter 8, probably good to look at chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, we'll really be camped out in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, because at the beginning of, of chapter 8, actually, 
Um, and just kind of a side note, some of what you see or that, that story of the woman caught in adultery, actually that's not in the oldest manuscripts of, of Scripture. And so actually chapter 7 and chapter 8 verse 12 kind of go together. And so just want to kind of point that out to you. So in chapter 7, let's see what, what was going on where Jesus again ends up saying, I am the light of the world. Let's read the first four verses of chapter 7 where he says, it says this in the story. That after Jesus, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, Galilee is where he did most of his teaching, most of his ministry. It was around the Sea of Galilee. It's north of Jerusalem. It's kind of a rural kind of area, and so that's where Jesus hung out mostly and did most of his teaching. And he would not go about in Judea, and that's kind of in the south, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Probably a good reason not to hang out down there. Uh, and so that's why he kind of was staying in, in Galilee. And it says, now the feast and now the Jewish feast of the booths was at hand, or the feast of the tabernacles was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that all your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he see, seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So what was going on, obviously, things were heating up for Jesus. Now, it's six months or so prior to his crucifixion. So the Jews were really getting upset with him. They were looking for ways, as Scripture says, ways to get rid of him, to kill him, literally. And then his, uh, in the midst of that kind of setting, Jesus' brothers come to him and said, Hey, why don't you go down to Jerusalem? If you want to stage, you want to have an opportunity to really talk, get your message out to a lot of people, you should go down to Jerusalem because there's this big festival that's going on. I mean, if you're going to do something in St. Joe, Benton Harbor kind of area, this kind of the Blossom Time Festival or Fourth of July, you know, some of those kind of times when all the people are in town, that's when you'd probably want to go. And so they said to him, why don't you go during this festival time? And so, uh, and because in Jerusalem, it's going to be filled with people uh, a lot of opportunity for him, again, to get his message out. This festival or feast of the booths is, is, is called in the ESV, or some of your Bibles may say the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was a, this festival where they were celebrating their time where Jesus had, or God had, had rescued them from Egypt and where they had wandered around in the wilderness. And they kind of commemorated that by, uh, by creating booths out of, uh, like, uh, plants and, and things, uh, palm branches and whatnot, and they would build these crude kind of tents, and they would stay outside, and so it was called the Feast of the Booths, and they would make these leafy shelters, uh, and of course, you know, they'd be singing, and they'd be celebrating how God had led them through the wilderness into the promised land out of slavery, so it was this big festival, uh, and one of the things that they would celebrate is how God led them by light. And he, or if you remember that story, he led them as a pillar of fire. And so the light led the people. And so that was part of what was uh, going on. And so his brothers say to him, hey, why don't you go down to Jerusalem uh, and again, get your message out. And Jesus says, well, it's a pretty good idea, but there's a problem. And the problem was the timing. And if you look at the next verse, it says, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. And the, what he's talking about is my time to be, by, to be killed. It's, it's not yet. And he was afraid if they were to go as a group and make a big entrance that that would provoke the people that were trying to kill him. And so he says, my time's not yet come. The world cannot hate me, but it hates, cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. 
So again, Jesus knew his enemies were going to be there, and so he wants to kind of have a more low-key approach, and so they go on without him, and, and then he stays behind, but not for long. Look at verse 10. It says, But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? So they, were, they had his number. They were looking for him. And there was so much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man... Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Uh, it's kind of interesting, interesting little side note that some things never change. And if you're a leader or any kind of opportunity where you're leading folks, uh, there's always going to be people that will be muttering. And that, so for some of you, that would be a great, another great time for a word of testimony, a little amen. Uh, and so that was what was going on. Some people said, oh, he's a good guy. And other people said, oh, no, he's not. And, and so people were muttering uh, amongst themselves, talking about him. And if you, just a little, another little side note, if you're going to be a leader that really changes this world and really does something of impact, there absolutely will always be, if you're doing something where that really is meaningful, you will have people that will mutter against you. And that's what was going on. So Jesus arrives at this festival, and he arrives privately. He doesn't go with this big entourage like he does later, but he, he enters kind of privately. Uh, and the first night of this, celebra- this, this festival would have been a huge celebration, and they, they start out by lighting all these lights. There's big, these huge candelabras that they, would, that they would have at the temple, and they would light those huge things that represented God giving light to his people. And, and they would have these lights all over the city, and people would light candles and lights and lamps. And, uh, and so it was this massive kind of party. Again, this reminder that God rescued us out of bondage. And he led us. God leads us by light. And so literally the entire city lit up. And they're singing and dancing and music. And they're singing the psalms. And and it was just this really high, wonderful time. And in verse 14 it says that about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning and when when he's never studied? And so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. And so here it is, as you kind of look at that text, it's about halfway through uh, this uh, festival of booths or festival of tabernacles, about halfway through, and he starts teaching. He decides, you know, the time is now. And so he begins to reveal his teaching, and he claims that his teaching comes from the Father, and that was a big deal. He's, he, he's talking about kind of his supremacy, and the Father and I are kind of equal as some of, kind of, some of what he's kind of communicating. And there's this huge debate that begins to ensue. Uh, what's his real identity? Where's his authority come from or lack thereof? And, and so there, some of them are talking. Some of them were marveling at what he's saying. Some of them, again, were mumbling about, muttering about what he's saying. Is he a prophet? Is he Christ the Messiah? Who is he really? And in this series, we've been talking about who is Jesus really? Because it matters who he really is. And so what Jesus does, he's trying to help them to understand who he really is. And if you were to pick up a Jerusalem newspaper or look at the tabloids or check out the letters to the editor of that particular week, you would have seen across it all, the front page, 
Jesus? Is he Messiah or charlatan? I mean, those kind of things were what people were talking about. It was the, the buzz of the, of the city in verse 25. It says then that some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? I mean, there is this underlying current that these people are trying, uh, that there are enemies that want him dead. That was out there on the street. Is not this man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and yet they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Let's skip down to verse 30. And so they were seeking to arrest him, those, the Jewish leaders. But, they, no, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So again, here's the context. This debate is raging during this festival, and Jesus is trying to communicate who he is. He's beginning to, to kind of say some things and try to plant some seeds of, of, of who he is. And the, the Jewish leaders are getting so worked up that he's saying these things that they finally get to the point because people are beginning to wonder, maybe he is the Messiah, maybe he is the Christ. People are beginning to pay attention to him. And so they're getting so fed up and they're so afraid of their power and their position of power that maybe it's going to crumble as a result of uh, what Jesus is saying that they, 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 they get scared and so they send their thugs to go try to arrest Jesus. On the other hand, you've got this, group, this other group of people. People that are wondering. People that are honestly seeking. People that have been looking for some time for a Messiah. And they're filled with hope that is this the one? Is he the one that that God has sent to be our great redeemer, our rescuer, our Messiah, the Christ? And so this back and forth continues. And finally we get to the last day of the festival. Look at verse 37. And it says, on the last day of the feast... The great day. Jesus stands up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. So one of the things that would have happened at this Feast of the Booths was if you... I don't know if you have a Bible or if you've got maps in the back or if you've got your phone, you might look up a map of Jerusalem in the temple area. But on the north side of the temple, there, was, there were some pools. And what they did was they, they would take the priest dressed in their white garments, would go down this footpath to a pool, the pool of Siloam down there. And they, would, they had this golden pitcher and they would as a part of this festival they would they would lower it down into this pool and they would they would draw it back up filled with water and everybody's around and they would follow them down this footpath uh, from the temple and then they would take this pitcher of water and they would they would make their way back up this footpath up to the top of the temple mount and where and they would go in and then there's all these this throng of 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 uh of that are, that are gathered there 
they were that are uh, you know worshiping at this festival, and they would take the priest would this pitcher of water and this this golden this golden pitcher filled with water, and they would pour it out as an offering to God. And the the picture was when when God was leading His people uh, in the wilderness. If you remember the story of Moses leading the people. And remember when they were in the desert and they didn't have any water and, and God brought water out of a rock and he provided in that moment uh, the water for them when they were in the wilderness. And so, again, this is one of those things that they did at this festival where they celebrated the fact that, that God had provided water for them. So imagine the scene. Here is, here is this crowd. The priests are gathered. They've got the pitcher, and they're about to pour it out. And Jesus is, is, is kind of positioning himself where he can have a commanding view of all of those that are gathered there on the Temple Mount. And as they pour that pitcher out, Jesus stands and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Those were interesting words, but to say those words at this point in this festival where they're celebrating the fact that God had provided water for them in the desert and what Jesus is saying that, that the religious leaders and the people are beginning to realize is that he is saying that, that I am in this moment the present fulfillment of, of all that God did in the Old Testament, that I am here and I am fulfilling those same things now, that I am the place, the source from where you can get and gain the living water, and those that drink from me, as Scripture says. Imagine how upset those other religious leaders would have gotten. The audacity that Jesus has to claim that that he is the source of living water. That he is the fulfillment of these Old Testament stories that, 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 were, that were pictures of what someday a Messiah would do and a, who a Messiah would be. What Jesus was saying to these people, it wasn't just a clever kind of teaching moment. You know, here's the, uh, a nice um, object lesson as the priest pours out the water as they're celebrating this festival of, of the booths where they would have done this kind of thing. And Jesus says, I'm the water. What he is saying, he's claiming that he is living water. Jesus Christ is claiming in that moment his supremacy as the coming Messiah. Believe in me, he says to them. Notice the response in verse 40. It says, and when they had heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Now, just a little side note. The people were thinking that he was from Galilee, and that's because he did a lot of his ministry in Galilee. But we know where Jesus was really from. Jesus was actually from Bethlehem. And they're saying, well, he's not the Messiah because the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. He's not the Messiah because the Messiah is a descendant of David. Both things we know that Jesus was. Again, kind of a little side note. A lot of times when people are muttering, they don't have their facts straight. And they didn't have their facts straight. 
Jesus Christ met all the prophetic, uh, all the things that the prophets had said about who the coming Messiah would be. And so the crowd is divided. Some believe and some aren't quite sure and some are vacillating back and forth and some really think that, that he is the Messiah. And here's the final, which I think is a really fun part of the last part of this story. Uh, the, the religious leaders, again, they send their thugs the, the officers from the temple to go arrest Jesus. They've had it. They, 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 he's, he's done enough. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get rid of him now. And they finally worked up their courage. And they're so incensed by what Jesus is saying. I am the, he's talking about living water. And so they send their thugs to arrest Jesus. And look at verse 46. It says that some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priest and the Pharisees who said to them, imagine them shuffling in with their heads kind of not making eye contact with any of the leaders, any of the, the chief priests or the Pharisees as they come in, these guys that have been sent to arrest Jesus, and they ask the question, why did you not bring him? And notice the answer. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They were so taken by Jesus. So taken by Jesus. They couldn't even do what their, their, it was their job to fulfill the orders of the, these, these people that were in authority over them. And yet, in that moment, they couldn't even fulfill their responsibility because they were so taken by Jesus. Is that your story? Have you been taken by Jesus? Do you get who Jesus is? Do you understand who Jesus is? And so with all that context of understanding that Jesus is at this festival and, and all that they had been celebrating, the, the lights and these, these big, uh, big candelabras that would have been uh, at the temple and, and all these lights all around and celebrating how God had, had led them through the, the wilderness and he was their light, Jesus says finally in verse 12, and again Jesus spoke to them saying, and this is at the end, he's at the, in the temple area. You'll see later if you read on in chapter 8 that he's at the temple and he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It was the final day, the final days of, of that, final day of that celebration. And they're putting the lights out and they're, imagine the, the temple workers, and maybe and here is Jesus here at the, in that temple area. And may, imagine them kind of packing up the lamps and the lights, and 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 putting away. They're shining up the uh, shining the the big candelabra before they put it away for the season until they bring it out next year. And they're putting all these lights away. And then in that setting, Jesus stands and says, "You know what? These lights were for this." period of time for this place for these few people but I tell you I am the light of the world I'm a light for all nations for all people for all generations if you follow me you will not walk in darkness but instead you will have the light of life all nations, all people. I have come for all the earth. And Jesus gives this powerful metaphor. And so, in just a couple things 